0: All right, this is Gary Parrish from CBS Sports.com, and it's now Monday, February 16th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, joined by Matt Norlander and Sam Basini. Got lots of stuff to get through. We're going to get to uh, some of it, uh, but I want to start with the big news from Saturday, and that's that uh, John Calipari and Bo Ryan are both finalists for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Calipari, of course. Um, has taken three different schools to number one rankings and Final Four, specifically UMass, Memphis, and Kentucky. He's won a national title. His resume is uh, probably one of the most impressive resumes in modern history. The only blemishes, of course, being that two of his Final Fours have been uh, vacated. Bo Ryan has uh, completed 13 seasons at Wisconsin. He's made 13 NCAA tournaments, never finished worse than fourth in the Big Ten. He's about to win his fourth Big Ten title, uh, went to last season's Final Four, won four Division III national titles at Platteville. And so, Norlander, I'll start with you. Um, will both men be inducted at the Final Four? Should both men be inducted?
1: Yeah, this is. Hmm. I'll say no, that both. What?
2: I don't know. Well, I agree with that. Do you have the full list in front of you, GP? No, it's it's kind of a weak year for what it's worth. I think like the best the best finalist is probably Dikembe Mutombo out of the NBA guys.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, it is possible. I I would love if they both did um, and they were both there for the final four. Uh, That would be uh, really cool if that happened, which is possible. It is. It's definitely possible because both are on track, obviously, to get number one seeds at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crazy thing. You was, could actually
0: argue that they're, they're the two most overwhelming teams at this moment.
1: Is that oh, fair? Oh, yeah. 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 Without a doubt. Right. Um, yeah, I agree and, with that. and there have been nine teams in the past uh, 34 years, basically, that have started 25-0, and and this Kentucky team is one of them. And Calipari is responsible for 33% of those teams, which is just nuts because UMass did it in 96. Memphis did it with Derrick Rose in 08, and now Kentucky's done it. Um, both are deserving. Both are going to get in. First time, I don't... I'm only saying no because I feel like with the Naismith uh, Hall of Fame, there's, there's a little bit of the football side of it where just because you're getting on her for the first time doesn't mean you're necessarily getting in. Um, And with Cal, for whatever reason, I feel like he might still be seen as young enough. He hasn't, uh, this is not my opinion, but just in general with the two vacated Final Fours, there might be a sense that he has to wait another year or two before it happens.
0: Yeah, I I get. That. I don't understand making people wait if you Neither do if, I. If you already like baseball does this. I don't oh, understand. Oh, baseball's the baseball's the worst with this actually. It just it's it's ridiculous. Like it, it, if you don't think somebody belongs in the final in the Hall of Fame, by all means, don't put them in the Hall of Fame. I'm not trying to debate that. It's it's a subjective deal for a lot of people. But if you go, yeah a hall of famer but not right now maybe in a couple of years like what does that even mean i don't like yeah. i'll never understand that and so um i i suspect that there'll be some pushback on john because of the vacated final fours and his just reputation in general whether it's fair or not it's there it exists and um i guess let me ask you this sam do you care about that should people care about that should people look at john calipari and go Obviously great, obviously accomplished, but two vacated Final Fours, and I'm not putting that in the Hall of Fame. Does that matter to you? Should it matter to
2: people? I don't think so. I mean, you have a guy in Spencer Haywood who's up with him, who you know, like did he was like a drug addict essentially, and while he was playing professional basketball, and like that's fine. That's impressive,
0: like, actually, on another yeah, thing. you know, and it's
2: that's, like, that's hard that's, to that's, do. It's hard to yeah, be a drug is, addict like, and totally be awesome okay. at basketball. I mean, I don't fall as far as like the Peter King thing where he's like totally ignoring the Darren Sharper case. Yeah, that's as far as like his as far as Darren Sharper's candidacy for next year. But at the same time, like with someone like John Calipari, where the issues off the court like aren't really that vast, you're talking about like vacated final fours due to impermissible benefits. Like, I don't I don't really care about that. Like, that's. That is what it is. John Calipari is absolutely a deserving candidate for the Final Four. He should probably get in this year. The guy that I was a little bit more skeptical on until reading up on his Platteville days was Bo Ryan. Right. I was I was kind of shocked that he got nominated after only like, like you said, I think thirteen. This is fourteenth year in Wisconsin. Um, you know, I I I just like didn't really understand that he had seven hundred and thirty wins. Um, all of these great successful teams that were uh that won four national titles or whatever. Um but I, I can see the committee holding him off for a year too just because you know he's only been a Division one coach for 14 years. He only has like what, maybe maybe 300 wins at Wisconsin. Well, somewhere in that area.
1: Yeah. Um here
2: yeah here's your here's, here's your candidate list. You have you JoJo it. White, Dekembe Matumbo, Lisa Leslie, Kevin Johnson, uh Spencer Haywood, Tim Hardaway among the players. And then you have Lita Andrews uh, and Robert Hughes, who are high school coaches. And then Dick Bavetta is a referee. And then your college and NBA coaches are Calipari Ryan and Bill Fitch. Bill Fitch. My guess is that... Throwback. Yeah. My guess is that... um, I think JoJo White should get in. I think that Kevin Johnson should get in. Matumbo should get in. Uh, all the players are deserving, and my guess is only one of the two college coaches gets in, whether I, it's Calipari or Ryan. I don't know which one. I guess so, I would
0: say this: like you know, Matumbo belongs in the Hall of Fame. I, I guess K, KJ does as well. I don't think KJ does. I don't know. Okay, here's my point. None of those guys had the impact on college basketball of John Calipari and arguably of Bo Ryan. I mean, had the impact I would, on professional. I, basketball. I'd agree with that yeah. regarding Calipari. Like, like like the impact the Kimbe Matumbo had on the NBA is dwarfed by the impact John Calipari's had on college basketball and and arguably agree, Bo Ryan. Yeah. And so that that would be my whole thing. And just to the um the vacated Final Four stuff, because this is gonna come up. Like this will be your um you know, uh, first take slash talk radio debate as this stuff is gets a little uh, closer and people run out of stuff to, to argue about. Should John Calipari be in the Hall of Fame with vacated Final Fours? Um, Jim Boeheim's got NCAA troubles. He he's in. Larry Brown has had NCAA troubles and like it, it has them right now. He's in. Roy Williams is going through it right now. He's in. Tark 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 is no. in. Coach K. <laughs> Should have had NCAA issues because of Corey Maggette and/or Lance Thomas. Like either one, right? It, like if Marcus Camby can get you in trouble at UMass, Corey Maggette ought to be able to get you in trouble at Duke. If if um, you know if Marcus Camby can get you in trouble at UMass, uh, Lance Thomas having like uh, you know hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry ought to be able to get you in trouble at Duke. <laughs> the, the NCAA just just you know smooth let it slide for whatever reason. I, we don't need to debate that again, but right. Um so as long as we acknowledge everything I've just said in the past 60 seconds is true um then like holding like holding a no- a, a totally different guy out because of vacated final four seems a little si- I, I forget whether it seems silly it's obviously it seems silly and is obviously hypocritical right i mean would anybody argue with that
1: yeah no i would agree uh, with that yeah. entirely to me the only like I think Cal is number two. Lisa Leslie is like an all time ridiculous player at the at the yeah. you know college and pro level as a female player uh in terms of you know she is one of what five household women's basketball players household dancer women's hoops players ever yep Lisa Leslie sh- Shoni Schimmel no don't <laughs> even go there with Shoni Schimmel she is, okay? she is so good. Shoney Schimmel's got a good decade ahead of
0: her. Hey, before Shoney anyone Schimmel showed Shoney up well Schimmel in that celebrity is. game. Dude, I've been knowing about Shoni Schimmel for a while. <laughs> she <laughs> was gunning in that celebrity game. Dude, there, there is me and my friends who gamble, there's nothing really to gamble on in the summer except for um, baseball or the WNBA. So, like, I I'm not even joking. I have the WNBA league pass.
1: Yes. Oh my God. Sam, Sam was not with us in Vegas last year. Oh, what did I tell you?
0: How much money did <laughs> I, I win? How much money year. did I win on the on the uh, Phoenix Mercury and the and the Minnesota Lynx back to back? Exactly. Everything I lose at the Black Day table, Tape, I just make it up on the Phoenix Mercury and the in the Minnesota Lynx. Shoney Shimble plays for Atlanta, so uh, you know sometimes the you know the sometimes it, you know the Eastern Conference is the only is the only league, is the only side playing. The, sometimes you, the the Mercury and Lynx don't play every night, so sometimes you got to get on that Shoney Schimble.
1: I guess, how did I know by me inventing, uh Lisa Leslie this would <laughs> this would turn into a Shoney Schimmel show Shoney
2: Shoney the Schimmel is the best Shoney, Shoney,
0: Shoney, Shimmel. Shoney, Schimmel. Shoney Schimmel her coach hates her so much in Atlanta they won't even start her even though she's so clearly the best player because all she she will not pass the ball like she is she's the Russell Westbrook of of uh, of the WNBA I love her so much she is my favorite player I've been trying to get a Shoney Schimmel jersey since the summer. <laughs> I'm not none. I'm not joking at all. I will joke around later, but I'm not joking at all right now. You can't get one because she's um she's of Native American heritage, and so she's become like this this Native American phenomenon. Like you know, in terms of like she has a huge following, and um so the like it literally since summer. You you go on the WNBA website or the Atlanta website, any of the websites. The only thing available is a double XL. You can't get anything normally that's that's for a normal sized human. Because it's all completely sold out. But I would I would, I would kill some of my first Shoney Schimmel jersey.
1: Well, you know what? You get that double XL, you got yourself a Shoney Schimmel blanket. No I will have it.
0: You know what? I'll take, a, I'll take a Shoney Schimmel blanket at this point. All right, so what were you saying? Anyway, I just wanted to talk about Shoney I was just Shoney saying, Calipari
1: should definitely be in this year. You need 18 to 24. There's no minimum like the Pro Football Hall of Fame where they got to get in at least five every year. And it might be five and only five. I, I can't quite remember. But anyway, uh, 18 to 24, it, it could be no one this year, but that's not going to happen. But I think... Only Leslie is the uh, is the clear cut in terms of impact. I think overall, and you could even argue that Cal's had more impact. I think that's fair. But Leslie is such a, a massive figure within women's basketball that I think she's the only one that supersedes Cal. Uh Bavetta's probably going to get in eventually. A beloved official, Hardaway, I would put in. Um, but yeah, I, basically, it would be terrific if this happened, and they were both both you know, Bo and Cal were at the Final Four. And for Cal, it would be um, pretty momentous, just, you know, we discussed this plenty on Friday, actually, before we even knew this was going to happen, what it would mean to him to get that kind of honor. And, uh, you know, that's another certain level of acceptance within the game. And to think about what John Calipari was perceived as, you know, as he left the Nets and went to Memphis and to what he's done since then is pretty remarkable.
0: Do we have a date that we know where Shoney Schimmel will be eligible for the Hall of Fame for the first time?
1: Oh, what, what is it, uh, 25 years removed from your first game or something? I don't have the date. I'm sorry, I don't All have right. Schimmel's right. dossier in front of me, I'm afraid. We'll,
0: we'll make sure to, to look that up. Let's change uh, gears for a minute. Okay, so John Solomon, our colleague over at CBSSports.com, had an interesting story posted uh, Friday after we actually recorded the podcast about how Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott wants to bring back freshman ineligibility uh it sounds like Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12 is on board too what in the world like what is of all the things that there are issues in college athletics why are these two seemingly smart at least I know Larry Scott's smart I'm not sure Bowlesby's smart I I don't know him but I know Larry Scott's smart why are these two let's just give Bowlesby the benefit of the doubt I'm not interested in arguing about it why are these two seemingly smart people like actually speaking publicly about this so this idea that seems so stupid to everybody else in the world. Why, like, why is this? What are they doing?
2: You're going to have to take that Norlander. Because uh, this is It's too stupid for my like comprehension level. It is to, just, like, it's just the dumbest thing. Ever. Fathom. It's the yeah. most random
1: WTF story I think I've seen at the college level in basically since they were debating whether to go to 96 or not. And that was more intentional, let it leak to the public, see how reaction was. Yep. This can't be the same thing because there's no way college sports benefits. And, I mean, we are uh, we are just so far removed from this even. I mean, the toothpaste is out of the tube. The horses have left the barn. This is not going to happen. I don't see how they think this could possibly uh, be voted into effect work on any sort of level. Um, College basketball would be damaged, uh, uh, not beyond repair, I guess, but I mean, it was considered ridiculous even in the early 70s, late 60s, when this was still customary, and freshmen played on JV teams and only got three years of eligibility. Uh, It should be a non-starter, and for Larry Scott of all commissioners to at least be imploring these kind of possibilities, because there might be some sort of uh, back-end benefits to obviously leagues and commissioners. I think it's, it's incredibly foolish. I don't know why we're even uh, like, I don't even know how this but, even
2: comes up. Who's
1: pining for this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I have uh, an idea on why he would do this. I think I know too, but I'll listen to you. Michelle Roberts came out and said earlier this week, I want to say on maybe Friday or Thursday with all of the all-star festivities that, um, the NB NBA, NBA players association will not, uh, will not really consider the one-and-done rule. They like the one-and-done rule. They don't want to even look at any other options, really. She said it's here to stay for a while. So this could be one of those things where it just could be preemptive posturing
0: yeah, on well, their well, parts. I, I think there's, well, let me say, it seems like the timeline, uh, Larry Scott would have um, suggested this before she even said that. So I don't think it's necessarily a reaction to that, but it seems to me... Like they've decided that the one-and-done player is a problem in college athletics. And let's be more specific, in college basketball. Uh, And so, um, you know, if we will make them ineligible, which is code, I think, for they can go do something else. If you don't genuinely have an interest in in college, then we don't want you in college. And so there's just no scenario where Jolly Okafor is going to go to Duke for a year and, and sit out. Before entering the NBA draft, <laughs> it, it would be it would be, yeah. it would be stupid for him to do like no no reasonable person would advise it. So basically, what they're saying is we're going to keep the Derek Roses and the Jalu Okafor's and the uh, you know Kevin Durant's and the you know Greg Oden's and the you know Jabari Parker's and Andrew Wiggins. We're going to set up a system that prevents them from coming to school, but why? Like okay okay fine I hear you now explain to me why that's actually good for anybody why is it good for Wiggins and actually you could maybe argue it's good it's fine for them cuz like you know they're going to be millionaires but I don't think it's they're going to go get paid overseas Right yeah so like you could even argue reasonably you might be doing the players a favor but like what is the point like who are you hurting really and what are you accomplishing actually I bet you even somebody as smart as Larry Scott couldn't intelligently answer those questions who are you what are you accomplishing by doing Let's say, hey, you're in charge, executive order, like, you know, the, like, you're in charge and you can do an executive order and you do it. Freshmen are ineligible to play Division I athletics uh, or to play Division One men's basketball. What have you just accomplished? You've kept people who, don't want, who you think don't want to be on a college campus actually uh, off of a college campus. First off, most 18-year-olds that I know aren't really that interested in school. I know I wasn't. I was interested. I, I went to school because I felt like it was something I had to do. And I showed up at classes sometimes because I knew I needed to. Uh, but I was more interested in the social aspect of college and, and, and other things. I was more interested in, in whatever parties went along with college than I was you know, learning uh, biology. And so, first off, 18-year-olds don't know what they want. So to just sort of put it out there like that, I don't think these kids care about college. Well, a lot of kids don't care about college when they're that age.
2: Well, here's the that, other thing. Okay, go yeah. ahead.
0: Yeah. No, beyond that, um, like I've talked to I, I spent some time at Duke in the preseason. Jalo Okafor was talking about how he's been to soccer games. He's been to volleyball games. He actually goes to all of his classes. They live in a dorm. Jalo Okafor and Tyus Jones live in a dorm with other Duke students. It's not like some athletic dorm. Like, they (laughs) live down the hall from just, like, normal students. And they are very much a part of that campus community. I'm not going to sit here and pretend they're normal because there's nothing normal about them. They're going to be millionaires in a couple of months. But they are very much a part of that, that college community. And they are... Um, seemingly um, getting something from it, even if they never actually graduate from college. And so I just don't understand how you conclude that Duke would be better off or uh, without Jalil and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow, or that any college would be better off without people who uh, are contributing or at the very least getting something out of the experience. And then beyond that... um, it's certainly, the sport in and it of itself isn't more interesting without those guys. So, like, I just don't even know where this comes from. I, if I were listing 50 problems with college athletics, I could get to 50 pretty easily before I ever even approach this. And then if we even, somebody did bring this up, I would shoot it down at me. I just don't get it. Like, it's so yeah. random. And it's not just random, it's random and, and ignorant, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Shame it's it's dumb.
2: Um, and here's the other thing, too. Sometimes you have, kids like Jared Sollinger who was a top 3 recruit coming out of high school who ended up staying for a second year of college right. who want who like actually wanted to be at his university and wanted to stay there and be around the school he loved college so much you're going to convince kids that the college experience is worth staying for if you let them come for this one and done idea it's just so stupid on so many levels like but, yeah on I, every I, single level
1: <laughs> it uh... The commissioners are kind of tying this to academics. Um, Swafford is also quoted in Solomon's piece. I'm just going to read you this quote. I mean, to me, I, to me, they're just so far stuck up their own. You know what? I can't even believe this. I don't. Here's what Swafford said. I don't think it's looked upon as as radical an idea as it seemed to people five years ago or ten years ago because it makes so much sense educationally we're in a period now where everybody is trying to get a hold of the student athlete experience and a recommitment if you will to balance academics and athletics Uh, this is uh, fairyland okay yeah it's like it's yeah yeah, it's
0: oh, oh and first off you know what f all these guys for like pretending that education is what's important when they when they actively shift uh, their conference members, so that they're traveling. They got girls' soccer teams traveling all over the damn country, out of their region, so that they can make more money off their ACC network, or Big Ten network, or SEC network, or Pac-12 network. Like, um, it, oh, and and they'll schedule games around TV slots if it means midnight on a Tuesday of a school week. If right. it, if you know, they'll um, they, they'll. It, uh, you know, play games at five in the afternoon if TV says so. They'll play. They'll put people on the road. And you really want to care about athletics? You, I mean, academics and education, you me tell you who does? The Ivy League. You want to know why? They play Friday, Sunday. Is that the schedule? Friday, Friday Sunday. Friday, Saturday. Right? Friday, Saturday, okay? So they miss a minimal amount of school. When any of these conference commissioners say no to ESPN and say no to CBS and say no to Fox Sports 1 and they say, you know what? We're not playing Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays at all hours of the night because we have student-athletes who need to be in class the next morning and who uh, don't need to be playing uh, you know, road games 1,500 miles from home uh, on a school night. When anybody stands up and say that, then I'll believe it when you start talking about how much you care about the educational experience. Till then, you can miss me with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah and they
2: put, they put these kids on the road, too, during midterms, during finals. Like, yeah. like, it's nothing. Like, they don't even consider that aspect of it. They just try and find what – Day of the year will be most successful for them monetarily. It's, it's amazing. It's just no, so totally absurd. No,
0: it's amazing to me. Like these guys will talk like, talk, and they're all like, you can't become who these people have become without being smart on some level, right? And so, like, it's amazing to me. These smart people sound so dumb, and and they don't seem to understand it. Like, how can you? And beyond all that, like, how can you on one hand. And this is what you'd hear all the time before we had a college football playoff. Well, it would ruin tradition. You know what ruins tradition? Taking Texas A and M out of the Big Twelve, like that ruins tradition. You know, taking Nebraska out of the Big Twelve. I mean, that that ruins tradition. Like, when when do we like you care about tradition there, but not over here? You care about education here, but not when ESPN wants to do a twenty four hour marathon and make you play at, at make your 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 student athletes play at five a.m. Why don't you care about education then? You know why? You know, how can you travel somebody across the country for a non-league game made for television, you know, on, you know, during finals week? Why don't you care about education then? So, like, unless you really want to, hey, start playing. Tell the TV networks that you don't want their money just so that you can play on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or Thursday night because you care about your student athlete's uh, actual education. Once you take that move, I'll believe anything else you say about it. But until you take something like that, again, stop it already.
1: Yeah, and, and for Larry Scott, who is considered the most progressive mind at the conference commissioner level of any guy in the sport, uh, in the NCAA, this would be a an extremely uh, damaging move if you were to really try and pursue and push this in in some sort of significant way um, because it's retroactive in its nature. I mean, we're talking about something that's well over 40 years old since it was abolished, this freshman ineligibility rule. I don't see it happening. It won't but happen. To it, but for it to no. have gotten to this point where, where Solomon is dedicating 2,500 words, and, the, and it's a very good story, and it's extremely well reported by our colleague, and you've got a lot of commissioners in that story giving it serious thought and pontificating, uh, it's ridiculous that it's gotten to that point, but, but certainly worth addressing.
0: Yeah, no, and at some point it won't, you know, it'll, 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 it'll it'll fail because you know somebody smart will just step in and say this is the most ridiculous idea ever but the idea that you could be like, like Larry, like, why would you want this attached to your name? Like all it's leading to is people mocking you. So I don't even, I, I just, I fundamentally don't get it. Like it, it's something you read and you think it must be a joke. And yet these guys yeah. seem very, very serious about it. I don't know. I mean, again, of all the issues that college athletics faces, the idea that Jalil Okafor is on campus at Duke is not one of them. And the idea, you know, that, that seemingly smart people are suggesting as much, uh, Again, just doesn't make any sense to any reasonable person I know. Let's move on. Um, Norlander was, I think, a little iffy on it last week. But uh, Sam and I, I I think, both thought Virginia would be fine without Justin Anderson. And the Cavs, they're 2-0 without Justin Anderson, and that's fine, I guess. But they've been down at the half in both games since he had surgery uh, first to NC State midweek uh, in a game they ultimately won by four points, and then to Wake Forest on Saturday in a game they won by a point. So are we still cool with what we said last Monday, Sam, or, or is this obviously going to cost Virginia
2: a game or two or three? Um, You know, like I said, their schedule is just so easy yeah. that I don't know that it's – gonna cost them more than a game. I mean it probably will cost them a game eventually, but I don't I don't know that it's gonna cost them more than that, just because like I said, they don't have anything really difficult until Louisville in the last game of the year. Like they have Pitt Tonight at home, which is probably their toughest game outside of that Louisville game. And you know, I, I think there are reasons for legitimate concern because that Justin Anderson injury, like their offense has no spacing now whatsoever. Like Brogdon and Parantis don't really have any lanes to try and slash into the uh, paint and get guys other looks. And plus, Evan Nolte was hurt on Sunday or Saturday, I believe. And he's another guy that can space the floor. So that that's going to be a legitimate problem because guys or teams are just going to kind of sag off of their shooters and let them kind of go free from three-point range. But, you know, Anderson's going to be back eventually. Um, I, I, I'm not real concerned, even if they drop a game or two.
0: Norlander, you you still, like, I, I, I think I'm still where I was last Monday. Like, it's obviously not ideal to lose what uh, the guy a lot of people think was your best player. But, but their resume to date, combined with the schedule going forward, like, they're going to be a one seed just because uh, even if they lose a game or two, they're st- their resume is still going to be one of the top four resumes in the country, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I yeah. would, I know I kind of was doubting their one seed, uh, you know, likelihood to a certain degree two weeks back uh, they're in the two spot right now in my opinion um, you go Kentucky then Virginia it's a matter of when uh, Justin gets back and then if his shooting form is back and, and you know with him almost immediately um, you know Virginia would obviously want him back in the ACC tournament you don't want to have one of those situations like Kyrie didn't he come back Round of 64 for that Duke. was
0: to me, that's the issue. It's not how they do without Justin Anderson, you know, it's how they do when they have to bring him back in because they yeah, brought
1: like right away. Like, I'm pretty sure Kyrie was out, he had that toe injury, and then he came back for the tournament. And they that lost was the year that was actually the year that uh Derek Williams in Arizona beat Duke in the Sweet 16, I think. Anyway, um, but yeah, Kentucky, 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 the one Virginia at the second number one. I know. I'd say Gonzaga right now, although, man, Gonzaga, and then you've got Arizona, you've got Villanova, Duke, Kansas, and even they'd have to run the table, but Utah's 20-4, and Um, so there are still enough teams in the mix right there. Virginia, in my opinion, has separated itself from the rest of the (coughs) the fact that it doesn't have Anderson. Uh, and I think if I forgot to, if I neglected to mention Wisconsin there they're obviously in the mix as well they could have a similar situation where Wisconsin really only has one loss of note because the Rutgers won while it will hurt them in a, in a certain way Kaminsky wasn't there for that game Rutgers has not won since that game by the way um so uh very intriguing you know race toward the number one seeds and we still have a full month to go yesterday marked one month exactly till selection Sunday so plenty to play out here but I do think Virginia is going to wind up with a one seed unless, you know, the bottom came out and it dropped three games, which I just don't think is going to
0: happen. Do you guys care about conference races at all? Because if you do, like, we don't really have any. Like, Virginia has a two game lead in the ACC. Kansas has a two game lead in the Big 12. Villanova has a two game lead in the Big East. Wisconsin's got a three game lead in the Big 10. Um, Kentucky's running away with the SEC. Like, the. uh, It's the
1: Pac 12, really.
0: It's the Pac 12. It's
1: in the,
0: the Mountain. I mean, Pac-12, American. If you care about those.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Mountain West is intriguing. I just I get intrigued by. Um, I, I don't. To me, the one thing I almost never care about is which league is better than the other league. I, I don't really care much about that stuff. But within the leagues themselves, uh, like Purdue, to me is uh, just strange as anything. Like I didn't think Purdue would be anywhere near in position to be second place in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's overall weirdness intrigues me. Uh, but you're right in terms of league races. Uh, there's not a lot of drama there. If Utah can beat Arizona, uh, upcoming, that would be massive. That game is uh, at the end of the month. Um, and that would, that's, you
0: know. that's the one, like, here's the thing. Like everybody's in love with Arizona and I get it. Like they're uh, like, they were awesome yesterday and they're super talented. And it won't surprise me if they're in the final four, Utah's probably going to win the pac 12.
1: They, yes. Cause that, well, cause the game's in Salt Lake. Uh yes, the game is in Salt Lake. You're right. Uh, so Utah should mm-hmm. win that game. Um, yeah. I mean, if they do that,
0: would if um, you had to pick a Pac-12 champion right now, wouldn't you pick Utah based on nothing more than they 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 play uh, they they play one they play each other once more, and that game's in Salt like, Lake.
1: Listen, you're talking to a guy that until about a week and a half ago had Stanford as the second best team in the league, and I have <laughs> offered May a couple of this multiple times on Twitter, and I'm doing it here on the podcast. I've got no problem admitting when I'm wrong, which is often, but with that as background, I will still say Arizona. Like both teams, though, and yes, I like Utah has a distant chance for a one seed, but if it were to win the Pac-12 and enough happened around them, like if Utah ran the table, it would have a shot at a one. I don't think that'll happen, but uh, yes, no, it's in, it's in very good shape, and... and- it's kind of one of those teams that I think people might be hesitant to embrace because we get one of these almost every year. A team that gets really good and they don't have a history of, you know, in recent years being, you know, one, two, three, or four seed. You know, this team was brutal four years ago. And Larry Kowiak has turned it around in immense ways. Um, they're very fun. DeLon Wright, I think, is going to be an awesome pro. But I think overall, since people aren't familiar with Utah, they don't see a lot of their games, it could be one of those classic two-seeds or three-seeds that people just don't take seriously because they simply haven't been on the radar in recent years.
0: Oh, I think they're absolutely good enough to get to a Final Four. And uh, let me be clear, because Arizona fans will start tweeting me, I think Arizona's great, and I think, I, I, you know, it, on a neutral court, I'd probably, I think I'd take Arizona over Utah. But given that they're both sitting here with two losses right now, and the determining game is going to be played in Salt Lake City, like I, I think Utah is probably more likely than not to be uh, at least a co-Pac-12 champion, which is not something most people would have anticipated back in uh, November. I think those are those, those two teams. You, you know what? Like the I won't be surprised if the Pac-12 ends up a little bit like the SEC last year in the sense that there's not a whole lot of quality in it. But we could look up and have two Pac-12 schools in the Pac- in the Final Four, just like Florida and Kentucky last year, and it would not shock me at all.
1: I think that's a good point.
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we talked about tonight. Um, Virginia is playing also on the court. Kansas. They're at West Virginia, and I looked at their schedule. As long as you assume Kansas doesn't lose at Allen Fieldhouse, you know, because Kansas doesn't lose at Allen Fieldhouse, they win tonight at West Virginia. They only have two road games left. They basically, if you don't think they're going to lose at Allen Fieldhouse, are going to secure tonight a share of the 11th straight Big 12 title. And I know on the surface, you go, hey, at West Virginia, that's tough. I don't know how many people have looked closely at West Virginia's schedule. You, uh,
1: you are loving hating Bob Huggins this year, GP.
0: I love Bob Huggins. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't wish. I don't wish. I don't wish ill of Bob Huggins ever. I think college basketball is more fun when Huggs has a great team. They started 14 and one. They've gone five and five since then. They haven't beaten a likely NCAA tournament team in a month. They've only, you know, their best win all year is Oklahoma. After that, it's Wofford. Uh, again, they're five and five in their last ten. One of those is a blowout loss at home to Baylor. They're coming off a blowout at Iowa State. Like they haven't been very good for a while, and it, and it it actually. You know, I don't know that they were ever very good. I mean, they, like, so I I I won't be surprised if Kansas goes in there tonight and wins.
2: Yeah, no. I totally agree. I think they're going to actually. Um, that was my pick of the night, and the viewers. All guy, right, there we go. That we one. got. To okay.
0: So yeah, wow. well, you should well, hey, expect good, West good, Virginia th- to win this God, game. I know, right? You're on a. Like,
2: yeah, I'm on a legendary hot streak. right now. now. What
0: are you going to do the other night? Denzel hit a, you know, I went, it's not really a ridiculous shot. It was a wide open shot, but he, it's a wide know.
2: open, like fade away three. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it was uh, what it was. It was what it was. Um, but, but yeah, still, like, you were looking wrong. At, oh, absolutely. Oh, so wrong. <laughs> um, West Virginia, though, I mean, they beat NC State earlier this year. That's a good win. They beat Wofford. They beat Connecticut. They have a lot of those, like, borderline wins. But outside of that, like, they don't have anyone. They lost – plus they've lost three home games already this year to LSU, Iowa State, and Baylor. And Kansas is better than all three of those teams. Like, it's kind of a logical fallacy to assume that, like, all three – since those three teams beat uh, West Virginia at home, that Kansas can beat them at home, too. But Kansas – is a considerably better team than, uh, well, West Virginia is, but they also have the ball handlers to be able to break the press and they have the rebounding to be able to kind of slow down the offensive rebounding game of West Virginia, because that's how West Virginia gets all of their points. Basically Yeah, (laughs) Um, it's just off of the offensive glass and with Jawan state and slashing. And um, you know, Kansas does have a, like, they're in the middle of the pack in defensive rebounding rate nationally. But, you know, with Cliff Alexander and I think that's going to be improving. And with, hopefully, Landon Lucas playing like he did on Saturday, that's going to be improving. Um, so, yeah, I think Kansas can go in and beat West Virginia and Morgantown and uh, pretty much end the Big 12 race.
0: It would pretty much end the Big 12 race. Last thing before we get out of here, um, I just sort of got into this on Twitter yesterday. Somebody asked me about SMU. If it had Emmanuel Moutier, like, how, would they be a Final Four contender if they had Emmanuel Moutier? And it's funny because we had Larry Brown on Inside College Basketball last week after Dean Smith died. He was nice enough to come on and talk about Coach Smith, and he was great. But one of the things he actually said when we were, you know, speaking about this particular team is he said, you know, we're, we're pretty good. The kids are playing well, and um, he said if we had Emmanuel, we'd be top three. He actually said top three or four in the country if we had Emmanuel. And I don't think that's really a stretch. I think, and I said this back uh, in the offseason, like Emmanuel Moutier could have done for SMU what Derrick Rose did for Memphis. In other words, you know, come into a veteran roster and be that difference maker. The thing that takes you from being a Sweet 16 type of team to a Final Four type of team. And I'm just curious what you guys think about that. Norlander, for Emmanuel Moutier on this SMU roster, are we talking about SMU as a top four or five team in the country?
1: No, but we're talking about them as a top 10. Uh, SMU is 21-5. and five. It's had Moutier. Let's give them. I mean...
0: Keep in mind, for some of those losses, they didn't have Marcus Kennedy either.
1: Right. So, yeah, so they win. Let's say they win over Arkansas back in November. Uh, they wouldn't have beat Gonzaga. They wouldn't have beat Indiana. They've been swept by Cincy, so maybe give them one. So they have three losses... Yeah, they'd be in the top ten at that point. And, you know, given who Moody is, the kind of player he is, he'd probably he would probably, you would think, be in the top ten for a national player of the year consideration. Um oh, sure, and this would be, would be huge for that league. The Americans just been an afterthought for most of the year, even though SMU has turned out to be pretty decent, um, and more than decent. You know, Tulsa's been decent um and done well in that league, but you know, Cincinnati's just okay. Yukon's way down. Memphis is not doing nearly enough to make the tournament. The American could have used a team like SMU with Larry and with Moutier to have this huge kind of year to kind of hold it up in similar ways to what Memphis did a lot of years in CUSA uh, with Cal. But he's not there. I still don't quite know how much I trust SMU. Um, if they still continue at their current pace, Um, And finish out the league, win the American title. I think they'll have a decent shot, like a five seed to me. They kind of might fit the mold of a perfect 12 over five upset. But if he were there, it would have been uh, a lot more fun. But that's not, that's, you know, that's the breaks. Now they don't have him. Uh, They didn't have Marcus Kenny to start the year. They don't have Keith Frazier for the rest of the year. So I think these things will certainly have some sort of impact. And while they might finish with a respectable seed and get in, which they failed to do last year after almost everyone thought they'd be in, um, I'm not totally buying them. As a as a reliable odds on favorite, Theresa's second weekend.
0: Sam, I think if you put Kennedy and Moutier on the, and I know we're just playing pretend here, but if you take Kennedy, yeah. uh, Marcus Kennedy and Emmanuel Moutier, put them on the roster from the beginning, I think they lose at Gonzaga, they lose at Indiana.
2: I don't think I they don't lose. think they lose at Indiana.
0: Okay, well they might win. Okay, I I, yeah. I mean I think they're sitting here twenty. 20- they lost
2: that game by six. I yeah. think that if you put Kennedy and Moutier on there, that's yeah. worth.
0: it. Okay, so they're twenty four and two. You know twenty. You know maybe twenty three and three. Like I, I actually do. They would be, they'd be ranked right up there with Gonzaga right now. They'd be
2: right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Norlander. I'd say they're top 10, not necessarily top five. I don't know that I'd put them in the same class as Kentucky, Wisconsin, uh, Gonzaga, um, like those teams, but you know, they'd probably be on the same level as Villanova. Um, they're, they, (laughs) Emmanuel Moutier is so good. I know. Like watching him operate in the pick and roll, just like on tape, anything that you see even from his date, from his play in China, which is essentially over. um, he was just so good. He, he knows exactly how to attack a defense. He has excellent vision. He's tall. He's going to be able to get into the lane basically against any collegiate defender due to his like blend of size and strength and speed. Like He is what we all thought Andrew Harrison was coming into college as far as being able to get into the lane at will. Like he's just faster than Harrison. Like he can kinda he has better first step. He's just able to get into the lane whenever he wants, and he has the pull up jumper to make defenses uh respect his ability to get to the rim. So I I am I, I would say they'd be a final four contender with Manuel Moutier. Um but yeah, like you said, it's pretend world. What, so what'd you guys I don't
0: know? Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys make of the SNL forty thing last night?
1: Um, you know, I tweeted that you know, the first sketch was the best. It was a fit. It was a faux game show. There was a decent SNL digital short, and the rest was just okay filler. So in many ways, it was just perfectly emblematic of SNL and every single episode where you've got kind of one memorable thing. Although Bill Murray was great, Bill Murray was great. Very- o- overall, it was pretty good. I gotta say, my wife was let down because. The day before, NSYNC had tweeted out, it's good to be back together again, hashtag SNL40. Ooh. So she was like so ready for some sort of NSYNC reunion to happen on SNL, which seemed random as anything to begin with. <laughs> uh, that didn't happen, um, thankfully. But overall, it was good. And uh, Eddie Murphy's thing was super awkward and weird.
0: Yeah. It, it, I thought I'd like, I'd sort of down with like, you put something like... Uh, whether it's uh, the Grammys one week or SNL 40 the next. Like, Sunday night, like, live television, any sort of thing is, like, cool to me. So, like, I'm down with it. Like, we sat here and watched it. I thought the Jeopardy skit was perfect. Um, oh. Bill Murray was terrific. Um, and and then, yeah, it had, it had some misses. The Eddie Murphy thing, I think, was the most disappointing. Like, he, he clearly didn't want any part of it. And if you're not even going to play along, like, don't even show up, right? Like, most of the other people came back and they played along. Like, who's a bigger star than Bill Murray? And Bill Murray came back and he played along. Mike Myers played along. And I just don't get why you'd come back and then not and then just be difficult and awkward. And I don't know. Like, do you know the backstory to all that?
1: I, you know, I've actually been dying to read that book. Um, there's a whole oral history of just the SNL in the 70s and 80s and 90s. and I haven't gotten to it. I don't know the back history with that, but I do know a lot of the back history with Chevy Chase, and you know if chevy can can at least show up and and
0: well, he didn't do half much ass, either. half
1: asset to a degree right and even chevy like who was liked by you would based off reports I mean he is just not a well liked person whatsoever sure uh, if even Chevy can do that, the Eddie thing was just you can get to the back story if you want, but to me, it was weird because you had Chris Rock, who I find listen i I was, I'm was. i just a tad GP. You got a few years on me, so Eddie was more part of your childhood and growing up than me. I just kind of missed him to a large degree. To me, Chris Rock is five times funnier than Eddie Murphy. Um, and so when you have Chris Rock giving this fawning monologue for basically five minutes, and Eddie's right backstage, can hear everything, he walks out, spends half the time just encouraging the crowd to applaud. Like It was so bizarre um, that it almost seemed like something was screwed up and i don't know if it was intentionally screwed up for him i don't know it was it was really weird
0: like i again like i i tweeted this last night like i grew up with eddie murphy i don't know that i was supposed to have grown up with eddie murphy like i don't know where my parents were but like you know i was a teenager like watching delirious and watching raw and then you know then you got harlem nights and coming to america and like eddie murphy was it's a big cliche but he was the most quotable dude in america for teenagers of my you know who are guys who are my age now, when we were teenagers, like nobody quoted Eddie, you know, anybody more than they quoted Eddie Murphy. And so the idea that a he could go from that guy, the guy doing Delirious and Raw, to like basically being a children's movie person is all kind of weird on yeah. another level. But the backstory, Sam, tell me if you if you know it to be different. Um, apparently, and I don't remember this. I just sort of read it over the past week. When David Spade was a cast member, they were doing. I don't know if it was a weekend update or something, but there was some sort of crack about, um, you know, have you ever seen a fallen star and they threw up a picture of Eddie Murphy?
1: I do remember that.
0: Okay. And, (laughs) and Murphy's thing, first off, like it's a joke. So like, just, you know, this, that's what the show does. Like, like, you know, I mean, geez, uh, Seinfeld Mm -hmm. made a a Brian Williams joke last night on NBC for crying out loud. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, whatever, but beyond that, um, Murphy's point of Eddie Murphy's point of view apparently was yo I'm supposed to be one of you I saved that show and you're in my career like to hell with everybody and it seems like like I get it I get how you might be bothered by that nobody likes to be the butt of a joke but it seems like you'd get over it at some point point. and yet by all accounts or at least by most accounts that I've read he has never gotten over that is does that jibe with anything you've heard
2: yeah I mean I've read the thing about the the, uh, you know, fallen star joke, but I don't know. I would imagine there's something else behind that because that's, that's just like such a small, like one-off thing, you know, like there has to be something else there as to why he is just kind of so against what SNL is at this point. Um, You know, I didn't watch the SNL 40 last night. I'm going to try and catch it today. Um, I watched the Russell Westbrook show Uh in the all-star game because I have terrible life decisions i like
1: uh uh, just sorry to cut you off sam but to me like i don't get why anyone will want to watch the nba all-star game over the snl thing like to me the all-star the nba all-star game doesn't i i'd never find it watchable just because it's just you know it's fine like dude's going doing crazy stuff and all that but like when there's no pretense of any sort of defense and like it's fine i guess as a casual watch but when you've got you know norm mcdonald and Dana Carvey doing their thing. Like to me, it was kind of a no. Well, break. you got to understand. Like,
0: like yeah. Sam doesn't even
2: probably know Norm Macdonald and Dana Carvey. I oh, know. I, dude. I, I
1: dude, mean, I, I mean, I know you know who they are, but, but you didn't grow up watching them.
2: Um, you know, Norm Macdonald. Like one of my favorite SNL things is him playing Burt Reynolds. Right. Yeah, you know, they Celebrity did that. Last like, they did it, and it was
1: amazing. <laughs> it's so yeah. Good.
2: But here, here's the other thing. Like, I just went to a bar with my girlfriend, and she has friends in from Australia. So we were just like, yeah. all right, we'll go to a bar, and we'll fund and watch the All-Star Game. So I figured, you know what? I'll, the SNL 40 thing, I can catch it yeah. today. My like, thing with – really,
0: like, Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's worth it. you And you can fast-forward You know, through the stuff you want to fast-forward through. My thing with the yeah. uh, NBA All-Star Game is um, – Like, at least with the Major League Baseball All-Star game, you still got a guy trying to strike out another guy. Like, they're at least competing, you know? Uh, Whereas in the All-Star game, there's no um they're not really competing they're just like seeing who can who can get going who can like it's not it's someone not,
2: should have told Russell Westbrook that last I, know, night. No, <laughs>
0: I know I know he got going um Zach Levine though that was pretty cool Saturday night that like, was
1: ridiculous I, you know yeah. I
2: was telling everyone I did a couple of radio spots on Saturday like before the slam dunk contest I was like you should watch the dunk contest. Zach Levine is going to do something that we haven't seen before. Yeah. No, he was and perfect. yeah, he did. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He he was put on this earth to dunk. He's not a good basketball player yet. Like on an NBA level, like he's obviously a good basketball player, like within the realm of humans. But, uh, just generally like on an NBA level, he's still not a very good basketball player, but he can do that and that will make him a lot of money for a while. No, he was, uh, he was great. We had a, we wrapped up a Valentine's day dinner
0: and then went to a little bar next to the restaurant that we were at. And, uh, what, you know, I was like, Hey, happy Valentine's sweet pea. Now let's go watch Zach Levine dunk for a little bit and, <laughs> and have a, and have a, a late night drink. And so we did that. It was, it was worth it. Like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know how it ranks in all time, whatever, but, uh you know it like i remember the vince carter one and then uh that you know and i remember the early one like the jordan one, i all that but like by by the people according to the people who do follow this type of stuff it's like vince carter one zach levine two maybe all-time dunk contest so if you haven't yeah if you haven't seen that yet go uh you can find the vines uh,
2: i would i would put it like carter one jason i put i said i would still put jason richardson's over because he did it twice and just the sheer like quantity of awesome dunks that jason richardson has in the dunk contest is incredible like he did that like reverse between the legs dunk before anyone else did it and it's he is the most underappreciated dunker i think of maybe ever to be honest, he is awesome. He is—he was so good at that. If you haven't seen it yet, there, it's worth your time. You can find the Vines again pretty much anywhere. All right, let's
0: get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the IslandCog.com podcast over on iTunes. The quickest way to uh, get the latest episode, So go do that, and either way, I will talk to you again on
1: Wednesday. Take care.